Welcome to the Denverse. It is Quinn and your boy. Derek. And Derek went to Disney World last weekend, and he returned to a sad state of affairs amongst our teams that we were so excited about last podcast. If you're going to go anywhere, you'd think that the Magic Kingdom could give you more luck, and instead it backfired. No, you were the luck. We needed you in City Limits. Um... Both the Colorado Avalanche and the Denver Nuggets were eliminated in the second round, um, both Game 7s of their respective sports conference playoffs. Um, And while it's disappointing, I don't think... I think we already reached the amount of optimism that's necessary to call both seasons a success. But... um, God, it would have been cool to still be talking about them, now wouldn't it? It would, and I mean, there were still more experience to be gained <laughs> the Avs were in a situation where if they would have won they could have won it all like they were in a situation where they could have won it all and the Nuggets were in a situation where if they had won they were hoping to make the series go to six games yeah so from those two things are different but it's amazing how similar you I feel about both of them in that the Avs are a young team with a lot of potential and their window is now open like their championship window is open the Nuggets are a team with a lot of potential. They finally made the playoffs. They may be a year behind the Avs. I don't know if next year is the championship window being open, but it is opening. Yeah. Well, and I think especially for the Nuggets, like a lot of Denver fans, like the handful of dudes that I see walking around with Nuggets gear, like, oh, well, glad to have you on board. The Nuggets don't deserve championship talk yet from like a straight-up talent and experience place, but also the city itself. Um, like if they were to somehow win the championship this year, that would be such an awkward um, championship parade. Because it's like of all the thousands of people lining the streets, so many of them are like, "So is that guy a player or that guy a player? I don't know. I just showed up to the party." Um, but I think it's still a time to be wildly optimistic, um, banking on everything going right and no major injuries. Um, we'll talk about both series in a second, but I wanted to get your opinion on this because I was thinking about this. We both went to Game 7 for the Nuggets. Avs Game 7 was on the road. Um, the crowd in Game 7, and you were there for Game 7 in Round 1, was what I remember Nuggets crowds being like before Carl was fired. The Even in the series where they would lose in the first round, the <clears throat> energy was there in the building during that stretch, and I felt like it wasn't there in the games I went to, and I think I went to four games over the course of the playoffs. For the Nuggets. Yeah, um, I get to kind of shamefully boast that I saw all um, eight um, games during the playoffs uh, for the Nugs. And it was it was weird, the ebbs and flows of like energy, but it seemed that everyone got on board for like the first quarter um, where we were having specific chance. Uh, Seth Curry, the unfortunately... Um, named brother of Steph Curry, uh, had called the Nuggets sassy, which is insulting because it's such a sassy thing to call somebody. Um, And he got a hard foul early in the game, and then Nuggets fans started chanting sassy. And that just shows like a level of like chemistry that takes time to build. 
But then the Nuggets stopped hitting shots, and then it got quiet and uncomfortable. And most embarrassingly, there were two Nuggets fans sitting in front of me who started fighting each other. And then a Portland fan sitting next to me started recording them. And he was like taking snap, like dramatic Snapchats of two Denver fans fighting. And that was the moment somewhere in the middle of the third quarter I realized, uh-oh, we're going to lose this. Um, so it unraveled pretty quickly. Emotions were high. But um, like you know the phrase, act like you've been there. The fans don't know much about me having been there. Um, and the team is still learning that. So the momentum is high. I'm hoping that those who hopped on the bandwagon are still there come October. But I bet you ticket prices are about to spike. And um, there's going to be a lot of lot more people at the bar watching games. Like I remember we went to that early Lakers game. And it was like a full bar me, you, and two other dudes who kind of cared about what was happening. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for that, and I think you're, you're right. It was weird ebbs and flows with the crowd. I was glad that it sort of felt like it had come back, and I think that the thing about those earlier teams with Carl, like from Mello to Carl being fired, was they built up a history. They hadn't won very much. They'd only won two playoff series that whole time in the same year, but it was nice to feel like this team has an identity, and one thing that I loved about this team was they adopted the criticism that would come towards them. They would adopt the things. I mean, the take the L on the way out developed over the season. The shirts that um, D-Line Company, I think, made them that said Mile High Frauds. Like, I'm definitely buying one of those this summer. That's Mm -hmm. cool. I'm sure Sassy will turn into a T-shirt. Like, it reminds me of how the Nuggets embrace the Thuggets. Yeah. That is sort of come back, and so we're seeing that culture build. And in the Avs, it was in such a bigger way. I mean... Because they won that first series, the fans came back. They were loud the entire time. And I am not sure that I have ever been in a state of delirium that rivaled when Kale McCarr scored his first goal and the Avs got up 3 nothing in the first period of Game 5 of that Calgary series. It was just... I guess it was Game 3 of that Calgary series. It was unlike anything I've ever seen. And it's just nice. Like, we enjoy sports for better or worse um a lot of times most of the time worst like (laughs) we always end up mad at the end of the season except for the few times that they've won championship um and so but it really to me and i think that this is the thing we're trying to do with this podcast is it's about the community experience it's about developing a fan base and i think we talked about this a little bit but the nuggets are a team i want to get behind because they're all good guys that are working together they're not out there you know boasting about their accomplishments like the portland trailblazers with no twitter fingers on the nuggets we're going back to work <laughs> um we i feel the same way about the avalanche like if the thing that develops over the next few years is these were good guys that then win a championship that just makes it so much better than Let's say the Broncos of a few years ago who were like, we finally won. You've been disappointing us and we've been frustrated with you for years. And there was a weird Manning Osweiler thing. I'm not saying that wasn't fun, but it didn't feel like it was building to that. It felt like it had fallen down and then out of nowhere they won a championship. Yeah, the Broncos definitely, like 2013 was the year where all the hype was there. And then to get just slaughtered, it gave... Like, their loss gave credence to Seattle and, like, the Legion of Boom. And it's, it really hurts when you become a notch on another team's belt. Um, but, yeah, this is, like, the rise is happening. Elevate was the tag of the Nuggets. Um, 
And then, oh, like on Altitude Sports, I loved uh, the tag for the abs was nothing but guts. Like, you can get behind that. That is like folk hero status. And it was interesting. Like, the Nuggets still don't have as strong a character as, say, the Thuggets did back in the day. Um, because it's hard. It's a international mix of dudes. And they're all like, just like, yeah, kind of good guys. But um, in the Portland series, I, I, I'll preface this by saying like I have no hate against the Portland Trailblazers team and organization your fans y'all are whack you're whack babies and I hope that we have a rivalry for years to come with y'all um but your window's closing faster than ours so boom um but they really started to hate Jokic because they were saying oh he's playing dirty he's going after Cantor's shoulder um and it happened really fast but like the Batman line like either you die a hero or live long enough to see yourself a villain. I like that people don't like Jokic. Like, you can call him big and goofy, but he's going to whoop your ass in the paint um, for damn near 48 minutes, um, if need be. And so I, I like, and he's taking on that character a little bit more, too. Because um, he got in the face of a couple people. Myers Leonard. Your name is Myers, bro. I started. I tried to turn that into a chant, too. Your name is Myers um, I can't believe that didn't work. It's, bro, <laughs> section th- 342, I was trying to get hype. Um, and it's hard to build a little bit. But they now have the experience of 14 playoff games, two game sevens, and having lost a really winnable game just because they didn't execute. They didn't get beat. They just stopped hitting shots uh, for way too long. Um, but I think... Pray everyone gets healthy. Michael Porter Jr. is an awesome wild card to have. Um, and I think the team thinks Jared Vanderbilt's a wild card that we're not talking about, yeah. too. True. Oh, yeah, I mean, Jared Vanderbilt, um, he could be the heir apparent to um, Paul Millsap, who I honestly hope that the Nuggets re-sign. Uh, I don't feel like there's anybody who could use that salary better than a veteran like Paul. So... Um, the excitement is super high for both teams and for the Avs. Like, you have Kale McCarr who just came out of college onto the ice for what game three was that like? Yeah, game three. He came directly from losing in the championship game of the college playoffs right to Denver for that game. Talk about having fire underneath your skates. Uh, and then, although unfortunately the Avs only got the fourth pick in the draft. Um, they're likely to draft a, a solid player somewhat. So, I mean, it's sad. I wish you hadn't gone to Disney then, because who knows. Um, but both teams, like, the hype is as real. First podcast, I told you that this was a team to get behind. And, of course, with any season, there were moments of doubt. and But plenty more moments be like, yeah, these guys are the real deal. And I think the other thing is they kind of ran out of gas. They hadn't ever played this many games. I mean, Jokic said they played 100 games, which I guess he was talking about preseason, too. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's a lot more games. They know what this is like now. I mean, we always knew that you can't you can't just go from being a bad team to a championship team. The Warriors, it took three years. It took the season that they beat the Nuggets, and then they didn't really take the step the next season. No. And then they fired Mark Jackson, and then they were the championship team. Um, and so I think that that's a good thing to keep in mind. The thing is, 
there's never been a championship contender in Denver. And there is a chance now. Like, we saw what that can be like. The big question mark it was, is Jokic that guy? And he is. He yeah. can do that. And as you were talking about, the thing about Jokic is he does so many impossible things that, of course, fan bases are going to hate him. We hated Manu Ginobili because he could make that shot. We hate when Seth Curry ma- – or Steph, not Seth. When <laughs> Steph Curry makes that shot. And so that is part of being unique in your skill set and impossible to stop is people hate you. Yeah. And I think that that is something that Jokic is just going to have to learn. Um, and we're going to have to evolve as a fan base. I think Murray coming up short, especially in game seven, I, I think he was hurt. But at the same time, um, that is a huge motivating factor for him. I think Harris played the exact game that I want him to play from now on. Mm-hmm. And I think that mm-hmm. that's great. 15 points, great defense is perfect for him. Yeah. And I think I mean, that's really hard because the Nuggets have been so good playing their roles. I think he was 6 of 12 shooting that game. Yeah. Compared to Murray's 4 of 18. And so I would love to see just a bit more um, shifting. Like, say, if one of the guards is not having a great game, go ahead and take a couple extra shots. I feel they got really stuck in the idea that Murray, Jokic played the pick and roll. Um, but both of them just look so tired. Like, all of Murray's shots. Yeah, I think he was hurt and just tired because his shots were so short, just didn't have that spring to it. But, like, give Gary the ball and, like, Let's see him be a shot maker a little bit more because he has all the athletic um, tools to make it happen. Um, so again, fingers crossed. As long as people stay healthy, and um, like they're not going to get a great draft pick, but you just never know in the NBA. Like who could end up being like Tim Conley if he doesn't go to Washington before the draft? Just stay for it with us, Tim. Um, it's not. There's nothing but optimism, which is amazing coming from Nug Life. Well, and the Nuggets don't have a pick at all. Oh, they don't have a pick at all. Okay. No. They okay. traded it for Fareed. They traded first round for oh, Fareed. Right, or, right. I'm sorry, with Fareed. With, Not yeah. for Fareed, with Fareed. Um, and I don't think they have a second round pick. But I'm okay with that for this year. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the questions are, do they throw a Hail Mary and get a big guy? Which I don't think they're going. Like, I don't think Kevin Durant's coming here. No. Um, I think you do whatever. If he just was like, fine, I'll come to Denver. Not this is dumb. This is a dumb conversation that I'm having with myself right now. But just like this idea, if one of the top guys is like, you know what, I'll go to Denver. You do whatever you can, and I feel like Connolly will do that if he stays, as you're talking about. Totally. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you don't have to do that much this year, other than hope that you can develop Morris and Beasley more. Um, they were two um, letdowns in the playoffs. Only because they had played so much better throughout the course of the season. But even for bench guys, it's a slog of that many games. And, I mean, I don't know exactly how many games they both played in the D-League when they were playing there. But if you think about competitive basketball that they would have played, which would have been in college, you don't play more than 40 games, even if you're as good as they were. Yeah. Um, And just the jump to being having, having to play a whole second season, basically, at a competitive level... Your minutes are changing all the time. There was the weird Isaiah Thomas thing. I do think they'll make that step. I think it was important that they got this. Everyone on this team has a motivation factor, which is great, which Mm -hmm. is what you want. Maybe Paul Millsap doesn't because I think we saw what Paul Millsap can be. We don't need him to be anything else at this point. No, no. Um, But I'm I'm excited for the future. I I think all they really need is for 
some of the free agency stuff to fall their way where the teams get a little worse around them mm-hmm. and then they can really get to that next level. And if someone can meet Jokic at his level and we really need it to be Murray, then I think we, they really have a chance at the championship. So uh, you want to talk about the abs for a minute? Yeah, yeah, throw it at me. So the thing about the abs is that the game seven was really disappointing for Two main reasons. One, there was the phantom offsides call. Mm. You, you call it phantom? I call it phantom. Big words, okay. Um, it. So I don't know how much you know about the history of this offsides review thing. <laughs> but, like, a few years ago, when Matt Duchesne was still on the abs, he was, like, four feet offsides. They passed him the puck. The linesman missed that he was offsides, even though he was four feet offsides. Like, everyone in the arena knew he was offsides. And he scored a goal. And so the league's decision-making was, I guess we need to add this as a reviewable thing. We'll have it be a coach's review. And so the way it worked was that coaches could challenge, and if they lost the challenge, they'd lose their timeout. Well, everyone was challenging for offsides all the time, and offsides is sort of a fluid thing. Like The thing about hockey is like icing is sort of a fluid thing. Offsides is sort of a fluid thing. Like, you want to get it right, and fans get mad when it's off, but it's not like an exact science. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the reviews were getting close, and things like this would happen where the guy was way out of the play, or it'd be right there, and they'd be like, okay, we want to have fewer reviews. So their, their um, solution was instead of losing a coach's challenge, you get a two-minute penalty for delaying a, the delay of game if, you, um, if you're called offsides. So this happens. The Avs scored, and – the Sharks challenge it. And so you're looking at the abs having scored a goal, tied the game at two, and then going on the power play because the Sharks have delayed the game. Which is, first of all, ridiculous because it's too big of a burden on the refs now because you're double punishing one team instead of just punishing the team once. And so I think psychologically it's caused some problems where refs are more likely to take the goal away than keep the goal, which shouldn't be how it is because on the ice it was called a goal. And it always is on an offsides review. Otherwise, the play would be blown dead, and you don't get to score. And much like any reviewable um, penalty or whatever you, in sports, it has to be like inconclusive. Yeah. You have to show that what you're seeing on the screen is absolutely contradictory to the call. So if it was called a goal, they would have the burden of proving that it was not a goal. And... But- you know how mad you are when you're like, there isn't enough evidence to show this, but they called it anyway? Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what happened. So they score the goal. Landis Cog's going to the bench. From every angle, it looks like his foot is on the blue line when the puck goes through. The refs rule that somehow his foot was above the blue line, even though they have never shown us this video, and so therefore he was offsides. One thing is the league let the Sharks design this terrible arena where for one period of game you can get on the bench offsides because the the blue line like goes into the offensive zone. They also made it unfair where the visiting team, this is a new arena. This isn't like a 30-year-old arena. The visiting team cannot go to their locker room from the bench, but the home team can. And so early in the game, McKinnon gets hurt, and he's gone for those Sharks' first two goals, which may not happen if they can get to the bench. But they can't because he has to go off the ice, go get checked, and then come back. Oh, um, um, real quick for the Landeshog on the line, yeah. how far away from the goal was he? He wasn't. He wasn't the one who scored the goal. No, he wasn't the one that scored the goal. He was 
he was on the other side of the ice from this happening. So this was happening on the other side of the ice. It had no bearing on the play at all. And the thing is, so I know you've watched some hockey games. There are often six guys on the ice where you'll have five guys on the ice and there'll be one guy on the bench. Mm-hmm. The NHL calls a penalty if the puck gets tangled up with one of the guys coming to the bench or there are six guys actually skating. Otherwise, they let it be a fluid thing. So technically, this is a fluid thing. And if he is actually interfering with the play, they should have given him a del- uh, too many men on the ice penalty, but they didn't. And the league's explanation was they sent out a thing and they're like, a player has to touch up, up before the puck can come back into the zone or else it's offsides, which had literally nothing to do with the play. Okay, but touch up because there's tag up in baseball. Yeah. What, what are you touching up? So it's the same thing. His skate has to reach the blue line before the puck comes in. Before the puck So, so it's oh, So they're saying that because his foot was hanging over the blue line. Yeah. He was in violation, but if his foot was his skate was on the blue line, it would have been gravy. Yeah. Bro, that's But you can't even see that his foot was like there's no angle that shows that his foot was not on the ice. So there's mysterious film that the league has. Yes. That none of the public Oh, dude. And the Sharks, for the second time, get a Game 7 break their way because in the last time, they got a five-minute penalty that shouldn't have been five minutes because it's not in the rule book as five minutes. And so they got a five-minute penalty, and five-minute penalties don't expire. So they got four goals on the five-minute penalty. Um, And that's how they advanced. So (laughs) No, there's too much clarification. I won't do this to you now. So how does a five-minute penalty, which time is usually increments of seconds yeah so five minutes should end after <laughs> uh, 300 seconds so on a minor penalty um it exp- when you score a goal the penalty expires so if the Avs score five seconds into a power play the p- power play is over oh okay. on a major penalty the penalty does not expire and so you get all five minutes Dang. which there's an interesting thing. I think it was 60s or 70s. The Montreal Canadiens were so good at power plays that they actually changed the rule for them. It used to be two minutes no matter what. And then they were like, the Canadians are scoring three goals on this two-minute power play. Um, we have to change the rule. And so they changed the rule for that. Um, and then this was – so this was two times in a row. And so everyone's mad. I'm mad just about this call because I would just like the Avs to have lost cleanly. They probably did not – were not the better team in that game. But they – were there was just this ambiguous thing that we'll we'll be mad about as abs fans forever yeah it was the raheem Moore of this playoffs um where you can just bring up like that offsides in the sharks game and people will be mad yeah forever oh it was anthony carter not inbounding the ball that was this that was this play i mean okay for a young team the lore like that is important yeah you don't want it to happen but for the fan who had to suffer through that, when the Avs lift the cup again, that will be part of the long, tragic history up to that point. But gosh, dude. And the thing I will say is that the Avs handled it really well. Landis Cog said, I should have done it differently, which he should have. Like, he knew what was going on. He shouldn't have, like, tried to enter right there. Mm-hmm. He should have jumped over the boards. Um, and our, a linesman was quoted as saying um, he will get every call for the rest of his career because he didn't go after the refs on that call. Bednar was like, I don't want to talk about the call. So they did sort of the thing we're talking about. They were the good guys when they could have been the bad guys mm-hmm. and just completely thrown the league under the bus. The The Knights definitely did not handle it as well when they got the five-minute penalty that cost them the series. Um, so 
it was it was disappointing, but you I really like where the abs are. The thing that happened late in the series too was Comfort and Jost played really well. And they're sort of your Beasley more a secondary scoring that you need on a team. Mm. And they look like they can really step up. And I think it will shift the Avs priorities a little bit where they may be able to focus a little more on their defense in the offseason than just like trying to get as much scoring with free agency. So the difference between the Avs and Nuggets is the Avs roster is not set. They're definitely going to bring some guys in. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of money. And Rantanen is the only big contract they have to re-sign this year. So they... They're just set up so well, and it's so nice because ever since the lockout in 2004 that ended up costing them Adam Foote and Alex Tangay and Rob Blake and Peter Forsberg, this team has not managed the cap well. Like They just put themselves in bad situations, and it finally feels like they're in a good situation. Well, I mean, it's helpful when you have like bona fide commodities, like teams are often have to pay a guy that they're not 100% on because it's a bigger risk trying to let them walk and finding someone else. But uh, McKinnon's on the books. Um, Landis Cog's on the books. Barry's on the books. He's on the books for one more year, I think. And they may re-sign him depending on what they do in free agency. Mm. The one thing that is looming over all of this is Seattle is expanding after the season. And so the Avs will lose a player probably. But there are ways to get around that. So the franchise is freaking out because... If they hadn't played Makar this year, he wouldn't have been eligible for the draft, but now he is. Oh. Um, but a lot can happen between now and then. The one anchor that they have in this is that Johnson has a no-trade clause, so they would have to buy him out to not protect him, which I don't think they want to do, but it is sort of there. But they could also trade draft picks. Um, there are a lot of options. Okay, cool. Um, so it'll be interesting to see there, but I... The future is bright for the Avs. I'm excited to see what happens. McKinnon is now considered one of the top players in the league, which is a lot of fun. So it's interesting because we've just been struggling through both the Avs and Nuggets, just like trying to find relevancy for so many years. And it's like they both found it in the same playoffs. Yeah, dude. Oh, well, I mean, cheers to you boys. Thank you for two amazing seasons. Um, and many more to come, fingers crossed. So the Denver Broncos started minicamp, and the Broncos media exploded with storylines. As uh, if they haven't been making up storylines this entire time, regardless. But I, I love how predictable the storylines are, and the first predictable thing for me was Flacco is not going to mentor Drew Locke, which was... Weird in its asking. I don't know if you saw the asking of it, but he was like, what are you going to do with Locke? And he's like, I really think that um, Locke needs to learn from the playbook, but obviously I'll be here from the offensive coordinator. And then he was specifically asked mentor. And Flacco was like, no, that's not my job. I'm the starting quarterback. Mm, um, mm. So storyline of the week. We got our storyline of, of minicamp. Oh, great. The never-ending drama that is Broncos football. Are we even in minicamp? Are we in OTAs? I think it's OTAs. Okay. Minicamp is summer, isn't it? I think it may be next month. Anyways, whatever we're in. Yeah, we're there's in now actual like um, activity at Dove Valley. Yes, people were there. <laughs> there was – Mike Kliss had the great tweet when the Nuggets went out. Now we're going to finally get to see the uh, – the Scan- I don't know how to say that guy's name. Scangelo? Scan- the Scarangelo? The offensive coordinator, whose name we will learn, I'm sure. <laughs> um, we're finally going to get to see his offense this week, so perfect time for the Nuggets to lose. Um. <sighs> So Broncos still rule the day, but we like we like the Broncos. Like, yeah, I, not, I like the Broncos. Yeah. I don't like Broncos coverage all the time when it overshadows 
Like the yeah. uh, first time in six years being in the playoffs. I feel that should take precedent. But nonetheless, um, yeah, when we last talked specifically about the Broncos, um, it was, oh, shit, Joe Flacco is now a Denver Bronco. Ain't that weird? Now he is like the, our bona fide starter. We have um, a highly touted uh, draft pick in Drew Locke, second rounder, um, which you gave a thumbs up to because no one wanted John Elway to draft a quarterback in the first round, but he got a solid guy in the second round. And so now we have a QB kerfuffle based on the fact, should the veteran starting quarterback serve as a mentor for a rookie? And I'm like, that's part of your job, I think. If your goal is to make this team as good as possible, why wouldn't you help the young kid? But you first said that it was dumb to even ask the question. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think if Flacco has some time on his hands, sure, I guess he could help. But he's worried about winning. And that's the thing, like, football is all about looking over your shoulder to see who's going to take your job. Um, you don't bring in a quarterback to be the veteran leader on a team in that way. He's the leader on the field. He's not the leader off the field. Mm. I've heard Chad Brown talk about this where he was the veteran off the field who could show guys what it was supposed to look like. I think that that's great for that. I think, you know, where did that with Von Miller? You do want to have that legacy in other positions, but the only thing that happens at quarterback is a competition. True. But it would just be to me if – we're in a situation where Joe Locke, Drew Locke is challenging Joe Flacco for the starting quarterback. Things have gone terribly wrong. <laughs> in those 16 games, uh, the Broncos' small star that is right, trending upwards would have to absolutely crash and burn by that point. Um, and you think there's no way that's going to happen? I don't think so. I don't think... Oh. <laughs> I don't think I think the Broncos roster is good enough where they're not going to suck. Um, Joe Flacco is kind of a wild card because he has he just got replaced by rookie, and that's also another thing. Um, he just had a question about that in Baltimore with uh, Lamar Jackson. Are you going to mentor him? And Joe really didn't get a chance to because he played poorly, got hurt, and then Lamar Jackson took them to a um, unmemorable loss in the playoffs. So I get it, but I'm just like, if you're on the team, that your job should be to help the team be as good as possible. Um, the other thing, I guess, that I don't, I don't know, and I guess I'd like to hear a quarterback talk about this. What kind of mentoring does he need exactly? True. That's true. the thing. Like he's played at a major college program. If he can't figure out how to be an NFL quarterback on his own, I don't know that I want him to be the NFL quarterback. Like, if the hardest thing he has to do is figure out how to do that. True. With a coaching staff that's supporting him, with other veterans. Like, it's not like John Elway's going to be like, just go do whatever you want. Like, clearly I can't show you how to be an NFL quarterback. Like, I just, I don't, I don't know if it's even an issue because I don't know what the issue is. Well, I think about it like John Elway... Tommy Maddox are like the 15 guys who backed uh, John Elway up and then Peyton and Brock Osweiler. Elway and Manning did not mentor the their backup quarterbacks. And 
look where the Broncos ended up as soon as they retired. And so I would just love continuity from the coaching staff. Like, if our major coordinators and our coach can keep their job for two seasons, that would be phenomenal. Um, And, I mean, Joe Flacco has been a good, competent quarterback. If our second-round pick and Drew Locke in a really weak quarterback draft class could play to Joe Flacco level at any point in his career, that would be a win for me. But I feel like there's there's no right place to get all those skills that are needed to be a quarterback in the league. And maybe one of the best places is someone who's already done it. So I don't know if it's like, oh, no, you should throw the ball like this. But more so, like I want to see them sit down over a steak dinner and just talk about the league. Um, you know... I remember there was a story last year about who Philip Lindsay's big mentor was coming in. Do you know who that was? Oh, uh, it was Terrell Davis. What, or... Well, so it was him, but the guy on the team, do you know who it was? It was Chad Kelly. And look how good that turned out. So what? I'm, what? Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm just I, – I don't know. I guess we'll see. If Drew Locke is pulling a Chad Kelly, then, yeah, something went wrong. Well, that's – Chad Kelly. Perfect. <laughs> who was there mentoring him? Um and I don't know what, Ch- what um, Case Keenum could really tell him. Because, see, that's a situation where, yes, Case Keenum is definitely playing for his job. I feel like Joe Flacco, even if he plays pretty poorly, is going to be our starting quarterback, save for injury. Um, that you don't want to throw Drew Locke into the fire if the Broncos are like 3-9 uh, and nine towards the end of the season. So I don't, I don't feel like it's a competition at all. Real quick, so the next storyline that the Broncos media will push is should Drew Locke be the starting quarterback? Do you want to take a bet on at what point you think that's going to happen? My guess is game three of the tra- of training camp because they play five games this year because of the Hall of Fame game. Oh. Um, I think by game three, we will have a – should Drew Locke be the starting quarterback? Okay, and so this is based off like media hot takes. Yes, not it'll be anything substantial. No, someone writing an article in like the media that we sort of respect. <laughs> um. Well, then it certainly won't happen any later than that. So I'll give you game one. Um, that someone will start typing it up in the first quarter of not the Hall of Fame game, but the pre preseason game number one. Um. Locke will throw a second quarter touchdown to somebody, and that will be the time. Um, but yeah, it certainly is not going to happen. <laughs> They're not going to wait for any like substantial evidence that Drew no. Locke should be the quarterback. It's just everyone's favorite story. I mean, that was the Chad Kelly story, and clearly that wasn't a that wasn't really a thing either. Well, the, the sad thing was. <laughs> There was merit to it at some point, but I'll never forget watching the game and um, Broncos fans, as passionate and goddamn fickle as they are, um, a slightly overthrown pass by Case Keenum turned into a loud and boisterous Kelly chant, and then uh, then he threw Keenum threw a thirty-five yard pass to Demarius Thomas, and then they quieted for a second, and then they started the chant again. Um, I think. Problem is Joe Flacco. I don't think was he ever like the golden boy in Baltimore. I think he was when they won the Super Bowl. When they won the Super Bowl, yeah. when he was elite. Um, when he was the highest paid quarterback of all time. 
Yeah, but I just he doesn't seem to have a personality of a guy that like makes you like him, and this is his first like free agent experience in a different town. Um, and Broncos fans hated him before oh, yeah. he got signed. Yeah, dude, Joe Flacco. He ruined that Super Bowl for us. That see that would have been there were two. There's a two year window where the Broncos should have won the Super Bowl. Yeah. It was that season, and then the following where they got beat by Seattle. Um, but yeah, so you say week. Three game three. Yeah, I'll say game two. Okay. The first hot take: Should Drew Locke be the starting quarterback? It's going to be next week, and we're going to be like, we thought it would at least be till the preseason. Right. Well, in minicamp, <laughs> if he throws a few tight spirals, I know. Oh man, I hate it so much. Love the Broncos. I hate the I hate the storylines. I didn't tell you to wrap up this section. I there was a orange jeep with a top off it that was driving away from Pepsi center game seven with Peyton Manning in the front and his two kids in the back. And that was like the ride off into the sunset look of game seven for the nuggets. Really? Yeah. It's a cool Jeep too. It was like all orange. I'd never seen anything like it before. And they just sped out of there. Yeah. Then just want to read quick update. The Colorado Rapids are still winless in the MLS season. Um, the funny thing is a couple times they've been up, one or two goals, and they just lose it. That game last weekend, I think they were up two goals. They were up two goals, yeah. and um, as you said, it was their coach got fired after he said that they're they don't have the talent. Yeah, which like the MLS compared to the rest of the world is already <laughs> there's quite a dearth of talent. So where are these players coming from? And no, no Nuggets game seven, they brought a new like midfielder. For like a newly acquired midfielder to do the first shot, like talk about having like sapping the energy at the beginning of the game. The dude missed it, and nobody knew who he was. I know that's something we need to figure out in the off season. How do we get the Nuggets to change the first shot to something that you can cheer about? Because nobody made it. Nobody made Vic it. Vic made that one on accident. Freeland, I think Freeland made his at the beginning of the year. At the beginning of the year, yeah. Almost no one else made it. It's stupid if you're gonna miss. You can do a layup. You can do. I think they should do a jump ball against Rocky. And yeah, win it. And Rocky's like 5'5". Five, five. Yeah. It's fun for the whole family. Yeah, they could do that. I think that would be great. Um, <clears throat> that, and then I think we need to, at some point, pump up Rocky's uh, credibility. We need like the whole world to know how good Rocky is. Super mascot Rocky. I feel a couple viral videos of him just being Rocky could raise that profile. Um, maybe have him show up to some rapid games and <laughs> help inspire a win there. I think that I know that they couldn't have done it, but the Avs always should have made Rocky their mascot. Just had Rocky do everything, even if he never skated. Just like have Rocky show up for five minutes a game, it would be better than what Bernie does. Oh, don't! But Bernie is—we might, we probably won't. But I'll petition for who is the cutest mascot um, in the Denver sports fandom. Does the Rapids still have the Wavehead guy? No, oh. they have two mascots, or maybe they got rid of one. They had like an eagle and something else for a while. Wooly Mammoth is the cutest mascot. Oh, you're right. And shout out to the Mammoth. They made it to the conference finals? Yeah. Um, but last, you had a... Um, you resolved about the Rockies and what was the resolution you made? Um, we're not going to talk about the Rockies until they're 500. By the time this podcast is posted, hopefully they're 500. By they're 500. I think they are right now... Uh, my phone just died. They're one game below 500 right One now. game below 500, yeah. playing the Red Sox. They had a pretty epic game last night that they won in extra innings. Yeah, they... I don't know how many... I don't know how many strikeouts they got in the game. Um, Sale got 18. 
which was the second most ever by a Red Sox. Clemens did 20 twice. And six players struck out three or more times, which was a Major League Baseball record, which, of course, it was. Yeah. Uh, but they won in but 11 innings. They so. won. 11 innings are on the East Coast. So tonight, they may hit 500. And then tomorrow, if they get above 500, let that be the lead story next episode. Yeah. We'll talk all Rockies. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, nothing. Because all of Denver sports is now done. Oh, gosh. Well, tune in next week to this happy, happy <laughs> show. Um, but yeah, uh, wherever you're listening, we're now on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Um, A couple others. You can check out our website, which you, however you found this podcast will be included in it because it, it, it's not up yet. But uh, <laughs> we have another one. Also, if you feel like rating or, or subscribing or whatever, please do. But we're not going to be those people that tell you, please rate our show. Not until we like Blue Apron or somebody sponsors us. We're just two broke dudes doing the damn thing. But <laughs> it's been a good day. It's a beautiful day in Denver. So go out there in the Denverse and enjoy, friends. Quinn just mile high saluted you off. So goodbye. Bing, bing.